Deuteronomy chapter 7, we read just the first few verses. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and has cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt not take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. But thus shall ye, shall ye deal with them, ye shall destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their groves, and burn their graven images with fire. For thou art holy, thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. It's a lovely verse for the Jewish people, isn't it? You know, this passage today that we're going to look at is one which causes a lot of debate amongst many people. How could a God of love, how could he order and command and cause the death of so many, especially women and innocent children? From this passage, we as Christians will see that we have to learn the necessity of explicit obedience to God's word. You know, look at those verses. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, thou shalt smite them, and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt not make, shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. You know, I've been thinking about this chapter, reading bits and pieces in connection with these verses. One of the problems nowadays is that people emphasize one aspect of God and overemphasize one particular aspect of God at the expense of other aspects of God. God is love. God is love. And how gloriously true that is. And we are wonderfully blessed because God is love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But God is a God of justice. God is a jealous God who will not give his glory to another. God is a righteous God who rules with equity. God is a sovereign God who is accountable to no man. And we could go on. There are many attributes of God. 
There's a, an interesting story in Acts chapter 3. We all know it so well. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the beginning of Acts. And there was a lame man who had been at the gate beautiful for a long time. And he inquired for alms from the apostles. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he, we, we know the chorus we used to sing, jumping, leaping, praising God. And he arose up and leaped for joy. And then Peter and John went on to address the people. We hear a lot of talk these days about uh, non-contentious preaching. That we shouldn't disturb people by the gospel. Well listen, look what Peter said to these people. And after he had healed the man, he said to them, The God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob, and the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up, and denied him in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. And ye denied the Holy One, and the just, and desired a murderer, to be granted unto you. He, he pointed out, how cruel they had been to the Lord Jesus. And he had great results. Many, many people repented and turned to Jesus Christ. But you know, the authorities weren't too pleased with what was happening. And it says, as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain in chapter 4, the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, who incidentally didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, came unto them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. This here, the Sadducees. So it was in the evening time, so they put them into the jail, into the hold, until the morning. And in the morning, they brought them before them again, and they said, by what power or by what name have ye done this? And as they spake unto the people, they, 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 they said much the same as they had said to the people outside. Be it known unto you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified. They had great courage hadn't they to say to these men whom ye crucified whom God raised from the dead even by him doth this man stand here before you whole they, they'd obviously arrested the man who'd been healed as well but he was up before this group of priests and that's the picture we have here And then go on to verse 23. And being let go, they gave them a warning. But you know, they rejoiced in what had happened. And being let go, they went to their own company, Peter and John, and probably the man as well, 
and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they had heard that they lifted up the voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. God had wonderfully blessed them, given them the courage to speak to the Sadducees and the priests and to accuse them of killing the Lord Jesus Christ. But look what they call. It says, Lord, thou art God. Lord. And that word there for Lord in the Greek is despotes. Despotes. Absolute ruler. That's what it means. It's where we get our word despot from. One who is in absolute authority. And when we come to look at a passage like this, we have to realize that God is one who is in absolute authority. And if we could get that idea into our heads and into our hearts, we would be greatly encouraged, as were the apostles. They were in the minority, but their God was in absolute authority, and they believed that. So when he commanded them to do something, they did it under his absolute authority. Who is our God? Our God is the creator God. He's our Lord. He's an absolute ruler. He is all of divine sovereignty. He is all of divine justice. He is shining out in divine glory. He is God of the universe. And in this passage we have God acting in government. Now, I remember we did a talk on this. I think it's disc number nine. God acting in government. And we should go back and listen to that again. Because it shows that God acts in government of the world. And this is a good example of it. The psalmist said, and he had the right attitude, I will sing of the mercy and judgment He's singing of mercy and judgment. Unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. God is a God of mercy, but he's also a God of judgment. Look at Revelation chapter 15. Jumping around a little bit. Verse 3. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, 
Great and marvellous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of Saints. Or the real, the correct, more correct translation, which maybe you have, King of Nations. King of Nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And you know, the Song of Moses is recorded in Exodus chapter 15. You want to look at the, the Song of Moses. When Moses and the Israelites came through the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army had been destroyed, they sang a song. And this is the song which is referred to in Revelation chapter 15. The song of Moses. And if you read the song of Moses, it's actually quite a bloodthirsty song. Pharaoh's chariots and his host has he cast into the sea and his chosen captains who are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them, they sank into the bottom as a stone and, and, and so on. The song of Moses, a song of victory over God's enemies. Moses sang this song when Israel stood in triumph on the banks of the Red Sea in triumphant victory over their enemies. And the picture in heaven is of these people, these saints who had been delivered from the scene of persecution on earth through death. And they now look back on the judgment of their enemies during the Great Tribulation. The song of the Lamb is a song not of redemption but of the triumphs of Christ. The Lamb who was meek and lowly now exalted in the earth. The, the context is millennium. That song of Moses in Revelation. And God is addressed in that song as the God of the Old Testament. Lord God Almighty. And it says that he is going to be worshipped by the Gentiles. They are going to come and worship him. And that's what's going to happen someday. When God acts in judgment. The scene is millennium and character. But it helps us understand the way God will work. And the way God has worked. God, we are living now in the age of grace. God doesn't act in the same way now as he did in the Old Testament. But in the future, as that scene in Revelation shows... He will again act in righteous judgment on those who have disobeyed his word. It's a midrash of what happened in the days of Moses when God's enemies were destroyed. So it will happen again in the future during the millennium. There's a verse which says, when your judgments are in the earth, will the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness? Only when God's judgments are in the earth will the inhabitants of the earth learn righteousness. 
You know, people, when they look at events like this, nations being destroyed, women and children being destroyed, they, they start putting up arguments as to why God shouldn't have done this. How can a righteous God do this kind of thing? It says in that verse, in Revelation, great and marvelous are your works. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord. All of his works, or just some of them. Understand? We have to accept that all the works of God, we may not understand them, but scripture says all his works are marvelous. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord. Let us not be found in any way criticizing God as to why he wiped out nations. very easy to get into that frame of thought it's dangerous Isaiah 26 verse 9 verse I've just said my soul yearns for you O Lord in the night yes my spirit within me seeks you earnestly oh we, we learn we yearn for God he goes on when your judgments are in the earth will the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness that's the cry of all true followers of God we look around the world we see all the, 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 the evil in the world we yearn for God's righteousness to be in this world but it won't come about until God brings his judgment in when Christ rules in righteousness upon this earth Another verse in Isaiah 45 verse 9. Woe to him who strives with his maker. A worthless piece of broken pottery among other pieces equally worthless. And yet presuming to strive with his maker. Shall the clay say to him who fashions it. What do you think you are making? Or your work has no handles. And that's the... That, that's the analogy of a, a potter making something and the piece of pottery asking him what does he think he's doing all that we are all that we have the air we breathe the food we eat the clothes we wear the climate in which this earth is maintained everything comes from God and again Isaiah 64 verse 8 But now O Lord thou art our father we are the clay and thou art our potter and we all are the work of thy hand and again in Romans 9.21 Hath not the potter power over the clay where the clay he is the almighty God the potter there are many impenetrable mysteries in scriptures that we don't understand. We can't comprehend them. 
those we cannot understand with our finite minds. So let us accept the sovereignty of God in these matters and move on. God is looking at an overall picture we can't see above the horizon of our lives. And just in passing, before I go back to the passage again, there appears to be a time in God's order of things. When he's dealing with nations, and he was dealing, say, with the Amorites here. Way back in Genesis, God was speaking to Abraham. And he was talking about the Amorites, a particular nation. And he says, talking about them, he says, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Whether Abraham was querying the fact that why were these people not wiped out or something, God said, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. But it shall come to pass in the fourth generation something will happen. But at the present, God said, the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. There seems to be a time when God realizes and gives them a chance to repent. But there comes a time when he will act. And one of the seven nations here which is being destroyed were the Amorites. They weren't totally destroyed, unfortunately, by Israel. But it seemed that the time of judgment had come that they were to be punished. Let's go back to these seven nations. <clears throat> when the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land that thou shalt possess it, these seven nations were in the way. They were already there. And God said they were to get rid of them. They were very evil. As we saw last week, uh, the, 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 the gods which they worshipped were evil. They, they, they desired uh, human sacrifice and things like that. The seven nations, mightier than thou. You know, this is a picture of, and they represent the evil, wicked powers in the world today who are continually working against the blessings which God would have his people enjoy. We saw recently in Ephesians chapter 6 it said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places we need to recognize that there are evil spiritual powers greater than man whose influences are being exerted upon men to endeavor to darken and pervert all that is of God in this world we, we don't need to be great Bible scholars to understand that. Just look around the world today. We see the evil that is there. 
and it's trying to pervert anything of God in the world these forces seek to rob the Christian of joy and all that we have through the goodness and love of God in that respect there was a little thing came in and it was saying that Baghdad believers are being terrorized for crime of Christianity said that Al-Qaeda affiliated insurgent groups they're giving Christians in Baghdad a stark set of options convert to Islam marry your daughters to our fighters pay an Islamic tax or leave with only the clothes on your back these forces are at work in the world today trying to rob the Christians of their inheritance which they have through the Lord Jesus Christ Paul spoke of these powers as the universal lords of this darkness he knew God would have his people walk in light in those areas where these powers were and had possessed and that's what God wanted these people to move into their inheritance but these powers were there preventing them divine light and glorious brilliance is God's plan for you and me is to walk in the light that where, where once darkness reigned in my life the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ who is the image of God should shine into my life and then it should shine out of my life the light shines in the glorious gospel and we have the light of the world indwelling us and then Jesus said we are to be lights in this dark world and he has provided the whole armor of God for that very purpose you know we have the Bible speaks that we have a, an inheritance in heaven prepared for us incorruptible, undefiled that is there waiting for us but you know our inheritance actually starts down here eternal life starts here and now with me and with you and Jesus said I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly and that means a superior level of life not the humdrum life of people going through this world with no future, no hope but a superior an extraordinary, surpassing way of life through Jesus Christ God wants us to enjoy our inheritance here and now he said, Jesus said he wants you to have joy in all its fullness the joy of the Lord is our strength Bible tells us and you know Satan would try and rob the Christians of that joy the Israelites were to possess and enjoy a God-given inheritance but it was occupied territory and sadly they never cleared the enemy out of the land I was thinking about this and our inheritance in Jesus Christ and our eternal life which he has given to us we're all familiar with before and after photographs especially in this 
day and age when they're always talking about obesity and things. We, we, we see sort of a 35 stone woman uh, now down to a size 12 or something. And she's usually holding up a pair of voluminous jeans that she once wore uh, the, the before time and the after time. But on a more serious level, <laughs> our inheritance in Scripture, our life with Jesus Christ in this possession, in this land, is contrasted between darkness now and light. We walked in darkness, now we walk in light. Once it says we were at enmity with God, we're the enemies of God. Now we're reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Once it says we were dead in trespasses and sins, we were dead. And now we walk in newness of life. Great contrasts. Once we had no hope. The Bible says we were without God in the world. We were without God. We had no hope. And now we have a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Once we lived by the dictates of, the Bible says, our old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Now we have put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And we could go on and on, contrasting the darkness that was before we accepted Christ and the light in which we now walk. This country where the Israelites were to move into was occupied by forces of darkness. And they, as being God's chosen people, should have been the ones to have brought light to that area. Where there has been the power of the enemy God would now have us live in his peace and his joy. They say, sadly, the Israelites did not obey fully the commands of God. These seven nations were not just going to lie down and roll over. Satan would see to it, and he is still active in this world. It says in Ephesians, this armor against the the wiles of the wicked one the wiles it may not be a full frontal attack that Satan will have against us but it will be the wiles of Satan why does scripture say and call the means by which God has given to withstand the enemy the armor of God the armor of God. Why? Because we're in a fight. And God has given us a method of resistance. Warfare, as the children of Israel had to go in and fight for their inheritance. Look at what it says. You shall smite them and utterly <coughs> destroy them. 
that shall make no covenant with them no agreement of any sort with them you show no mercy to them you shall not make marriages with them you shall destroy their altars their whole religious system get rid of it burn it with fire why? why? God said because if you don't they'll, they'll turn your hearts away from following me your heart will be turned away from following me and the second reason why they were to have no truck with the enemy was because thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God the Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth and you and me the Bible tells us were special to God he sent his son the Lord Jesus Christ to die for you and for me we are a holy people set apart and we should have no truck with those nations the people around us who worship other gods now there were obviously many in Israel who did not obey these commands did they think they knew better than God I think they did Israel failed to keep the commands at the very first hurdle when they got in to the promised land now we haven't time to go into it in great detail but what happened was when they got into the land now they, they were told not to have any covenants any truck with anybody around if you turn over quickly to Joshua chapter 9 and there's a story there you can read it when you go home Joshua chapter 9 they had got into the promised land and they were beginning to make some headway and these people arrived in the camp and they felt they looked very pathetic they had old clothes on they had mouldy bread they'd run out of water they were called the Gibeonites they were the people of Gibeon and they were afraid of Israel so they decided they would get these old clothes worn clothes they'd get this old moldy bread and they would go and make a covenant with Israel and you know the sad thing is that Joshua made peace with them but you know in verse 14 of chapter 9 it says they ask not counsel at the mouth of God they used their own judgment they felt sorry for these people they looked miserable these people and they showed mercy to these people and you know after a few days they discovered that after three days that these people that they had entered into a covenant with only lived on the road the very first time they came up against a problem they went against the word of God God had demanded total separation and they failed failed miserably because they showed mercy when God said not to show mercy you know I want to read something to you 
there's a girl sends me stuff a Jewish girl never met her have a lot of bits of correspondence with her she sent me a lovely recipe for uh, a meal which she made on Sabbath a couple of Saturdays ago I'm going to try it someday got the recipe for it, it looks lovely but she also sends me things like this and she's Jewish now bear that in mind she talks about the Torah we call it the Bible here the Bible is God's book now this is by her verbatim what she said the Bible is God's book to mankind God is our parent we are his children and God speaks to us as adults he wants us to understand as much as possible the logic of the law and the history of why it is necessary to have these rules not those this particular structure of commands and constraints and not other ones there are portions of in scripture that we don't understand so that we also are called upon to live in faith that what we do not understand we nevertheless still obey because he understands God here gave these commands to his people they serve to remind us that everything written in the Bible is a divine decree and therefore to be heeded and obeyed as divine decrees although we can understand the reason for a commandment such as do not steal we are not to obey it because we understand its necessity we are to obey because the commandments are the will of God for his children and as his children we should want to obey out of love for him to obey for any lesser reason is inadequate deviance from Bible observance is often the result of our arrogance we want to apply human reasoning to divine decrees and then make our own decision this is nothing but camouflage rebellion justification for disobedience for instance now this is Jewish but nevertheless some may argue that while pork was dangerous to eat in the days before refrigeration because trichinosis could so easily set in in our days that problem has been overcome so therefore it must be acceptable to eat pork not so historical development does not govern obedience to the Bible the divine decree says no to pork that should be enough for us the same rule applies to all of the Bible the sublime issue is really quite simple listen to this the question is not what God said but that God said think about that for a while this is precisely what divine decree implies the Almighty the Holy One of Israel said therefore I will obey this is not to say that we are not allowed to discuss and meditate on his commandments we are not only allowed but we are commanded to meditate and discuss them but for what purpose to dissect them in order to find reasons not to obey not at all 
we meditate and discuss in order to learn better ways to obey this is the essence of Bible study we will hear and we will do and that's what Israel said to God on Mount Sinai we will hear and we will do in the final analysis the measure of how much we value Bible study and observance is how much we are willing to sacrifice in order to learn it it's not very good now that lady is bound by the law but one who has a real insight into the Old Testament scriptures and a great love for God I was impressed by what she said the question is not what God said but the fact that God said it and we obey it because God said it what about our walk in this world and we're nearly finished how about you and me do we take the, 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 the when we're reading in the New Testament the, the scriptures that God commands us to obey do we take them seriously or do we look for means as to how we avoid obeying them 2 Corinthians chapter 6 I'm going to read from the Amplified Version reading from verse 14 do not be unequally yoked to, with unbelievers. Do not make dismated alliances with them or come under a different yoke with them, inconsistent with your faith. For what partnership have right living and right standing with God with iniquity and lawlessness? Or how can light have fellowship with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and Belial, the devil? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? What agreement can there be between a temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Even as God said, I will dwell in and with and among them, and will walk in and with and among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people so come out from among unbelievers and separate sever yourselves from them says the Lord and touch not any unclean thing then I will receive you kindly and treat you with favor and I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters says the Lord Almighty we think a little bit about that passage perhaps again next week Amen <laughs>